0: AML audio. AML audio. AML audio. This is episode two of AML audio. Once again, it's Steven Sargent coming back to you with some more AML information. This is my second episode. Check out the first episode on SoundCloud and soon to be iTunes. Just a quick disclaimer that the thoughts and opinions of this episode and podcast are of my own and not of any organization or institution that I'm a member member of or employed by. So I just want to talk to everyone about this episode's all about how paralegals can transition into AML. This is dear to my heart because I am a licensed paralegal with the Law Society of Upper Canada, and I decided to transition into anti-money laundering. Uh, just to discuss a little bit about my journey, I was working at d and which was a fintech company. It's now called Finastra in Mississauga. I started to listen to podcasts around the coin. I started listening to Breaking Banks by Brett King. And, you know, I was like listening to all the fintech stuff, trying to get a better handle on my job and understand, you know, on a macro level what my company does and why it does it. And I started listening to Faisal Khan when he was talking on Around the Coin about becoming a compliance officer and how, you know, the startups in fintech were looking for compliant positions in order to um, help them, I guess, obviously expand into different jurisdictions, especially with a lot of the money laundering concerns and legislation. So when he talked about becoming a compliance officer, I was like, oh, you know, that really interests me. I started looking into it. I emailed him and said, hey, you know, I'm really interested in becoming a compliance officer. It sounds like a good mix of a legal background and a financial background, which I have both of. And I decided to reach out to him and he gave me a list of information. A lot of it I've already posted on LinkedIn or on my previous blogs. So to talk about becoming a paralegal it was like, OK, I become a paralegal. I take all the courses. Yeah, they're a little bit expensive. Uh, I finally complete the exam, which is you're in the room with 800 people. It's a pretty intimidating exam in a big conference center. Uh, and then I was like, okay, finally now I'm ready to go become a paralegal. I want a job in paralegal. And then I realized like there's over 8,000 like licensed paralegals in Ontario. I don't know if you've checked Indeed or LinkedIn. There's not 8,000 paralegal jobs out there. And obviously a lot of these people already have jobs in this profession. But coming out as a paralegal, I found that there was a lot of there was a big gap in between the supply that was coming out into the law society uh, every year and the amount of jobs that were actually available and not to say there wasn't jobs i obviously landed two jobs one is a legal analyst and then that transformed into a paralegal and a paralegal job with dnh but I just found the jobs were few and far in between. And it had me even looking at, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's obviously not what I went to school for. It had me looking at legal clerk or law clerk jobs or legal assistant jobs, even though that's not the field I wanted to get into or the capacity I wanted to work in. So if you're a paralegal or starting out to be a paralegal because you know you thought it was a hot market, it was a great transition into possibly becoming a lawyer one day, or maybe you know still getting that legal feel without having to go through six years of schooling and law school and articling, it was a really good transition. It's really something to think about before you start your progression into paralegal as to what other opportunities are out there. And what I this is that anti-money laundering investigation uses some of the same tools and resources that you use from and gain knowledge from um, your paralegal courses, and it, it might be a different avenue for a lot of you paralegals or people just transitioning from the legal background in general, which I see a lot of professionals in LinkedIn that have gone into compliance, regulatory compliance, risk analysis, and obviously anti-money laundering, or AML, that they have gotten in from the legal field, and it's a, it's been an easy transition for them. So I want to discuss some of the transferable skills. You're saying, well, I'm, I am in the legal profession, but I don't think I know anything about anti-money laundering. I want to talk about some of the skills you can use that would help you in depth into actually becoming an anti-money laundering investigative and gator, or there's a lots of policy and procedure jobs and intake jobs within AML that I think are actually a little bit more interesting than the actual paralegal work you're being doing. That's just in my own opinion. So the number one skill I think I've been able to use in my progression is my analy- my ability to be an analytical thinker. So studying as a paralegal, you're taught how to receive a wide range of information, documents, evidence. You're taught to dissect it, analyze it, and come up with a reasonable comp- conclusion in order to either persuade a court, um, or a tribunal of some sort, or an administrative process. So, Anti-money laundering narratives, or basically a summary that you're recommending, whether a transaction or an activity is suspicious or not, is really taking all those functions and putting it into the same context. So you're taking all the information, you're coming up with reasonable assumptions, you're using your investigative skills that you also use as a paralegal to research, and you're actually transitioning that into a summary or an AML Investigate a language into a narrative that will actually allow someone, or you yourself, to decide or make a recommendation whether something is suspicious or not. So you already learn these skills. That's basically what the paralegal program is designed to teach you: is how to teach you is how to be an analytical thinker. It's the same process in AML. You receive a limited amount of information. Usually, you'll have to piece it together. Uh, you'll have to take your general knowledge, you'll have to take your investigative research that you've learned, you have to take a little bit of legislation that you've read up on, and you have to reasonably put yourself into a situation is what would a reasonable person think that this activity is? Is it suspicious? Is it non-suspicious? What would a reasonable person, after I've created a summary of the situation be able to decide based on my summary and it's just like when you go to a small claims court you're basically taking the information and you're trying to explain to the judge in reasonable terms why the judge should rule in your favor or why the tribunal should rule in your favor most aml programs have a quality control or a quality assurance function, which is usually referred to as QC or QA function, where basically someone determines if they are in agreement or opposed to your recommendation of the activity that took place. This is really almost exactly like the tribunal or court process in that a judge or a tribunal administrator is deciding whether you provide sufficient information and you've provided it in a way that they're easy to understand that they either agree with what you're stating or they disagree and rule out of your favor. Uh, A second big transferable skill, one thing I like doing and I find that the paralegal programs focus a lot on now is legal research and writing. So as I talked about writing a narrative for AML investigation, I find that my legal writing has helped me so much by being able to provide a summary and it's an easy byproduct of the skills I picked up while doing the paralegal program. Basically, you're taking the information, you're gathering it and making it easy to review for a third party which is exactly what I said is like what you're doing for a court and tribunal so the legal research and writing is uh, immediate benefit for you similar to paralegal where you're reading previous cases or previous cases that relate to your case and you're figuring out which cases have set precedence in regards to leverage your argument to a court and tribunal, an AML investigator also might take previous cases within their own organization where a decision has been reached internally, whether an activity is suspicious or not, and that will help the determination if the activity that they're reviewing now is continuing with that behavior and is also suspicious, or maybe that something has changed or you receive receive new information. Like in most court situations, you receive new evidence that makes you argue a different way or makes you think that you know maybe a situation has changed or maybe the ruling could change in your favor at that point so open source investigation technique which is the legal research part portion i find of the paralegal program is also widely used in AML. It's actually one of the most important situations. You're only provided with the information usually your customers or a third party uh, like credit bureaus provide about your customer in regards to their activity. Sometimes you have to go online and use other resources to kind of fill in the gaps and fill in the blanks of, hey, what could this person be? Is this person in really employed here? Are they directors of other businesses or companies in other countries? You have to re- that's like the same legal Research you would use in paralegal to come up with your decision. So, you know, legislation-wise, I also thought the the Proceeds of Crime, Money Laundering, Terrorist Financing Act is Canada's basically money laundering act. Uh, I'm not sure why they tried to include every single word that to describe the legislation in that title, but. You know, it requires that a report be filed with FinTrack when there are reasonable grounds to suspect. And that word reasonable is so widely used in paralegal when you're studying to become a paralegal. It's all about either reasonable doubt, it's all about balance of probabilities if you're talking about small claims court where you only have to be 51% right or they only have to agree with you in 51% of the percentage that you are correct in order to rule in your favor. As a paralegal, it's very relatable in this situation, although the grounds to suspect a suspicious activity when it comes to AML is a little bit less than the balance of probability. It's not exact because I don't believe FinTrack provides an exact percentage, but if the balance of probabilities is about 50%, I would think that the reasonable grounds of, um, of suspicion would be in and around 25 to 35%. As I said, that's in my opinion. But most legal writing is done in a way that if it is read by a lay person or a reasonable person or a third party with reasonable education or similar education, would they understand your argument if it's laid out to them? So basically, when you're determining whether something is suspicious or not in AML terms, you're really determining whether someone else would agree with you based on the information you provided. So it's not a high level of out. Reasonab- reasonable suspicion, but it's still what would be reasonable. Can't just be you're, you're going on a hunch or you just think like, oh, this person deposited the money. I don't like that person's name, so maybe I'll file just in case. This has to be reasonable. It's the same level of reasonableness and the same aspect you look at when you're dealing with legal research and writing. So reading legislation is probably my last point i think coming from a legal background this is probably the most boring part i think is reading and going through legislation comparing it to other legislation in different provinces this is really this It's is a dry read so i think more so even though the proceeds of crime act is probably just as dry there's other ways of gaining information of what the legislation's points are through OSFI and FinTrack guidelines. And if you read my other articles, they'll go into details of what those organizations are and the roles that they do. Through OSFI and uh, FinTrack guidelines, it really breaks down what the what the suspicious activity looks like. So it gives you tons of indicators of what suspicious or a variety of transactions would look like. It's almost like a cheat sheet for AML investigators. I don't think there's anything like that from a legal standpoint. So it makes it easy to consume and to implement in your daily investigative routine. So from a legal, standpoint this is an easy transition you're already reading legislation you're already going through the acts now this is like a almost like a coles note version that you're able to read and apply into your daily job without having to go back and look through the legislation all the time as well in aml because it's changing all the time Technology's changing criminals are getting smarter there's updated typology so basically the new and funky ways and methods that criminals are using to money launder, they, they update on FinTrack. They update that. So now you have understand the new ways that they're, money, they're laundering money. Now you can understand like, hey, how is this going to be helpful in my job today? What, I, what can I look for today? And it gives you a whole bunch of indicators. It lets you know a whole bunch of suspicious activity that would be related to those type of new type typologies to really help you in your job. So what's the catch here? You're a paralegal. You're like, oh, this all sounds great. But what's the real catch? There is a trade-off. Just like anything else in this world, it's time and money. The transition into AML with no AML experience from a a paralegal standpoint, you're going to need to write your cams. You're going to need to become a certified anti-money laundering specialist. You're going to have to get that designation. It's approximately 2,500 Canadian, but the you know the Canadian dollar is doing a little bit good lately, so you might be able to get it for cheaper. But you're going to need to spend that money to get the designation. You're going to need to maintain sorry that you're going to need to maintain that certification, um, and it's about two to three hundred dollars a year as well. But to me, that's worth it. As Peter Work said, A.C.A.M.S. is pretty much the gold standard for A.M.L. So it's it's really like having your paralegal designation when you're trying to become a paralegal. The A.C.A.M.S. is the designation when you're trying to become an AML investigator or other AML roles. Also, this might not be for you. I, you know, This was really interesting to me, the investigative portion, I found it was a lot more fun and interesting than the standard paralegal job that I found was a little bit repetitive. And an AML can get repetitive, but there's always niches and nuances to each case that keeps, that keeps it a little bit more fresh and uh, revitalized but you have to know if this is for you. For me, what I did is I messaged hundreds of AML professionals on LinkedIn and got their take of their experience and realized, is this gonna be for me? Is this something that I think will be fun and interesting? And is it worth your time and money? Uh, you sp- and the hardest part is that you've already spent a lot of money to become a paralegal, I, I get it. Uh, now you have to spend even more on certifications. But to give yourself another avenue of employment and career where you can now double the skills of an average paralegal and you can work in any kind of financial institution or in any kind of legal field, uh, I think is quite impressive. I'm under the assumption that 50% of people that got into the paralegal field did it because it was hot. It was on demand and they, you know, it was at the time it was fairly easy. You can complete a whole paralegal certification in 14 months. Now I think it's down to 10 to 12 months. You know, not everyone is romantic about law. I know others are eventually looking to go on to law school or they really enjoy being a paralegal or they were pretty much doing paralegal functions and now they had to become certified um, by the law side in order to continue those functions. But for the most part, your skills are transferable to other fields where you can utilize them. Your law techniques in a new environment where it's much more interesting. So I think that's something to keep in mind that you don't want to rule out different type of job opportunities, just because you are a paralegal or you're a licensed paralegal, look at the job field right now. There's probably a lot more AML investigation positions out right now, because AML now is hot, where you can get a designation in a couple weeks, three weeks. You can study for that exam, four weeks, and just brush up on your legal background, as well as brushing up on anti-money laundering in order to at least start your career. It is not going to be an expert investigator in a matter of months, but you can build from different intake positions KYC positions, due diligence positions to get into AML investigations altogether. Uh, You know, what has helped me also, and might not be for most people, is that I have a financial services background in college. And even though it's over 10 years old, I find that I'm able to use my basic understanding of different financial products, financial services, which are also used by customers. It gives me a better idea of even in the real estate market, what's a reasonable real estate transaction. Whereas what is a transaction that's involving multiple unknown third parties that might, you know, be a cause for concern. So it's good to have a good foundation in financial services and the different services that are used. There's some, there's some benefits too, you know, as a paralegal working extra hours and overtime that you're not getting paid for. In AML investigations, I believe the standard is you do get paid for your overtime. You know, In legal, basically how you get rewarded for your extra hours is you're compensated by the opportunity to work more extra hours for free, in my opinion. Uh, you can still complete the paralegal licensing process. So, this information to transition into AML investigations is not saying completely ditch your paralegal and you know, forget about it. That was a waste of money and it's garbage. All I'm doing is trying to open up your eyes is you can still finish the licensing process. Yes, it will be a little bit more expensive, But if you have your paralegal, you have your CAMS designation and a good AML foundation, you can actually now broaden your horizons into different fields. You can get into different financial institutions, different legal institutions, companies, auditing companies like Deloitte, KPMG, that are looking for consultants and professionals that have a financial or legal background but also have an anti-money laundering uh, foundation but it doesn't mean you have to give up on your paralegal. You can still get a license, become a licensed paralegal. Currently I'm a licensed paralegal with the law society of upper Canada. For those that have done more research, I'm currently under administrative suspension because I don't pay my paralegal fees at this point because I'm not acting in any capacity and I feel my money's well spent on paying for my, um, AML designations at this time. If I want to go back into paralegal, I just pay the fees off and I'm still licensed as a paralegal. So I encourage others to really think about this option. If you have any questions or if you have any comments or anything that I said that doesn't resonate with you or you have an opposing opinion or feedback, please reach out to me, join the conversation, and you know, let's bring more awa- awareness to the transition from, legal to, uh, from, the, transition from the legal f- facility in the legal field to anti-money laundering and investigations. This has been Episode 2 of AML Audio. I thank you for your time. AML audio.